Anybody know what's happening tomorrow night up in the sky? Yeah, conjunction is happening. So the uh, by coincidence, it's the winter solstice. That's just coincidence. But the planets of Jupiter and Saturn are converging. They're going to look so close in our sky, it's going to look like a double planet. And because this is happening in December, they're calling it the Bethlehem star. Now, this actually happens, these two planets converge about every 20 years, but they don't always converge this closely. The last time uh, these two, Jupiter and Saturn, converged this closely was 800 years ago. So if it's not cloudy, take a chance to go out and look at this. That would be pretty cool. Now, I don't know enough about astronomy or the exact date Jesus was born to know if this convergence is actually the Bethlehem star or not, whether or not we're calling that. But I do know that the wise men followed some kind of star in the heavens to find King Jesus. They weren't worshiping the star. They were just following the star. They didn't get to Jerusalem, to King Herod, and say, we came here to worship a star. Now, the star led them. They came to worship the King Jesus, or the King of the Jews, whose sign was a star. So as we're looking at shepherds in the Bible, we're not worshiping shepherds. Shepherds are a sign to lead us to the good shepherd, Jesus. We've got two more before Christmas. We're going to have one after Christmas. And today our shepherd is Amos. If you're using a paper Bible, you want to, might want to take some time to find Amos now. After Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos. So a third of our minor prophets. And Amos, we're going to call the hopeful shepherd. Jesus said in John 10, this is 9 and 10, I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance. See, Amos is a shepherd that points us to this abundance that Jesus promises. And Amos 1.1 tells us who Amos is. Amos 1.1 says, The words of Amos, who was one of the sheep breeders from Tokia, what he saw regarding Israel in the days of Uzziah, of Judah, and Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. Okay, this tells us something about both Jesus and Amos, and that is, the shepherd is a human. The shepherd's a human. This verse tells us about Amos, the man. Now, we don't have any archaeological evidence to prove that Amos existed, other than the scriptures that says he's he was there. We, but we do have a lot of detail in this one verse about who he is. He is a man. He has a particular job. He, he's from a particular place. He has a particular time in history. If Ancestry.com went back to BC times, we'd be able to find Amos with all these details. We'd have no problem finding him. Now, we would suppose his father is the one who gave him a name, and he gave him a unique name. Amos is not a very common name. It means burden. 
That's not something I would necessarily choose to name a son if I had one. Now, perhaps he was born at a time when having another child would have been a burden to the family. Maybe his mother had a hard pregnancy, and so they named him Burden. Maybe they were thinking about strength he might have. He would be strong enough to carry a burden. Or maybe they were even thinking that he would have a burden for the people by the Lord. Who knows? We don't know the whys of why they gave him the name, but we do know they gave him a unique name. Amos was also a herdsman. He was somebody who owned and or tended cattle or sheep. He has a very common occupation for his time. And he lived in Tokia, a city in Judah. And it's mentioned several places in the Bible and the Apocrypha. We know that King Rehoboam fortified uh, Tokia. That's in First uh, Chronicles 2. And it seems that this city was a place that gave early warning to Jerusalem if attacks were coming. It's about 10 miles from Jerusalem, southeast of Bethlehem. And Tokia means trumpet. So they were the early warnings probably for Jerusalem attacks coming from Jerusalem from their direction. Tokia still exists today. It's in the west bank of Israel. And the modern town is built right next to the ancient town. And Amos is said to live during the divided kingdom where King Uzziah reigned over Judah and Jeroboam reigns over Israel. And we also know that he begins his prophecy two years before the earthquake. Well, when is the earthquake? Well, Zechariah 14.5 also mentions an earthquake. It may be the same earthquake. And there are indications of an earthquake in Hazor around 760 B.C. So that would make him about 7, 762 B.C. And Amos points us to Jesus in this way because Jesus is also confirmed as a real human. We know his name, and we don't just know his name. We know the genealogies of Jesus from both his mother and his father. We believe Matthew is the genealogy of Joseph and Luke is the genealogy of Mary. We know his father was a carpenter or some kind of tradesman. We know where Jesus was born in Bethlehem. We know he moved to Egypt. We know he grew up in Nazareth. We knew he generally traveled around the Galilee area. We know that he was killed in Jerusalem. We know a lot of places of Jesus. And places he went, we're pretty sure we know where Simon Peter's house is. We're pretty sure we know where the Last Supper Passover meal was eaten. We know where the Garden of Gethsemane is. We know where Caiaphas, the high priest's house is. We know where Pilate's prison garrison, or, uh, you know, his, his garrison was housed. We know which rulers were in charge, both locally and internationally, during Jesus' life and through his death and through his resurrection. We know Jesus is a human being. We can pinpoint him all over the place. And this is important because as 
as much as we are assured that Jesus is God, we also need to be assured that Jesus is a person. C.S. Lewis speaks a lot about this in some of his writings. In his work, Miracles, C.S. Lewis says, the central miracle asserted by Christians is the incarnation. That is that God became a human. And in mere Christianity, he says this, the Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. He goes on, the eternal being who knows everything and who created the whole universe became not only a man, but before that a baby and before that a fetus inside a woman's body. He says, if you want to get the hang of it, this is a commentator said, think about how you would like to become a slug or a crab. You know, the prophets predicted that the Savior would be a person, a human being. Isaiah 53, 2 and verse 5 says, He grew up like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have impressive form or majesty that we should look on him, nor appearance that we should desire him. In verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. If the Son was just God, how could he grow? God doesn't grow up. If he wasn't a human, how could how could they say he was just a normal-looking person? If he wasn't human, how could he be wounded? I don't know about you, but I don't want to serve a God that can be hurt. Unless he's human. John 1.14 tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know, God dwelt with the ancient Israelites for a time as a cloud or fire as he led the people through the wilderness and then indwelt the temple and the tabernacle. But Jesus gave us God in skin. And according to Galatians 4.4, God sent his son at the perfect time. See, just as Amos lived in a particular time, Jesus came at a time when all the prophecy could be fulfilled about how he would live and where he would live and how he would die. And also at a time that even without trains, cars, airplanes, telephones, the internet, the message of God could spread all around the world. Perfect time. Without a human to fulfill the law and be the sacrifice for the disobedience of all humanity, we wouldn't have had any hope. The Savior had to be a person. But we do have the hope because the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Jesus, the shepherd, is a human. And one other thing, the shepherd is also a herald. The shepherd, a shepherd's job is not just to quietly provide for the needs of a sheep and protect the sheep. The shepherd also communicates with the sheep. And we're going to show you a quick video, two minutes, of some people trying to call. Shepherd calls a sheep. And 
Now you understand more when Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. They were all doing, all those other people were doing the right call. (laughs) Wrong voice. The shepherd speaks to the sheep and gives them the message that they need to hear. Now, Amos gives uh, a couple of things. The first thing he does is he gives people a heads up. For most of his book, Amos is warning people. He warns the people of Damascus. He warns the people of uh, the Philistines, the people of Tyre, Edom, Ammon, Moab, Judah. And then he especially spent some time warning Israel. He warns them of their disobedience, and he warns them of the coming judgment of the Lord. For eight and a half chapters, he does that. And Jesus also did this. In Matthew 4.17, says, From then on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So Jesus warned people. Jesus particularly warned the religious leaders not to be hypocrites and to heed the signs that he was the Messiah. One example, Matthew twelve thirty eight and 39. Some of the scribes and Pharisees said to Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered them, An evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So Jesus also warned people. He spoke warnings. But Amos, as our prophet of hope and image of Jesus, the last part of chapter 9, Amos gives hope. Amos 9, 11 through 15. He writes, In that day I will restore the fallen shelter of David. I will repair its gaps, restore its ruins, and rebuild it as in the days of old, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name. This is the declaration of the Lord. He will do this. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When the plowman will overtake the reaper and the one who treads grapes, the sower of seed, the mountains will drip with sweet wine and the hills will flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel. They will rebuild and occupy the ruined cities, plant vineyards and drink their wine, make gardens and eat their produce. I will plant them on their land and they will never again be uprooted from the land I have given them. The Lord your God has spoken. So after all this warnings, he finally gives them some hope. And the Lord, through Amos, tells them three things that they can hope for. He says, first, the Lord will restore the kingdom. He's telling them, the line of David is going to rule. And Israel will possess all the promised land. It's their first promise. David, King David's line, will rule again. Second, The Lord's going to restore their harvest. Amos is predicting a time when the person plowing the ground to sow seed can't get their work done because they're still trying to harvest the produce from before. They're saying, it's time to plant. They say, well, you can't plant. I still haven't gotten all the crops from before. That's how much abundance that they are going to have. So the Lord's going to restore the kingdom. He's going to restore their harvest. And third, the Lord's going to restore their security. Israel will not only have the promised land, 
and reap the benefits from the promised land, but no one will ever kick them out of it again. And Jesus had many proclamations of this type, but I think they're best summarized in Luke 4, starting verse 16. When Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, as usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he anointed me to preach good news to the poor, He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, Today, as you listen, the scripture has been fulfilled. See, what we have from Jesus is... Jesus is of the royal line of David. And he will sit on the throne forever. He does sit on the throne forever already. What about the harvest? Jesus said in Luke 10.2, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. That prophecy from Amos made me kind of think of this in a new way. I always thought about this as, She's saying, there's a lot of work to be done, so we need to pray that the Lord sends more harvesters. But remember, Amos was saying, there's so much harvest that even the people that are there can't keep up with it. I think, I feel like, yes, we need more harvesters, but the church and the world should be a place where it doesn't matter how many people we have making disciples, we will never have enough. It should perpetually be like the day of Pentecost where you have 11 people preaching and 3,000 are coming to Christ. What I see here is that even if you have just a few people committed to share the good news, the church should be a place where we can't keep up with the number of disciples. That's... That's the promise of Jesus for this church. And lastly, just as Amos prophesied that Israel would be secure, Jesus said of all those who are his, no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. That makes Jesus the shepherd of hope. We're in a time where people are need to think about where we put our hope. Is my hope in Pfizer, Biotech, or Moderna? Is my hope in a new president? Or the the judiciary of the old president? Is my hope in a stimulus check? See, because all these people may or may not come through. Even if they do come through, their help only lasts for a limited time. And none of them can save me from the most important warning that has been given. God will judge all disobedience. But Peter, after healing a sick man, said of Jesus, There is no there is salvation in nobody else. 
there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. There's always hope in Jesus. Let's pray. This is Psalm 89. I will sing about the Lord's faithful love forever. I will proclaim your faithfulness to all generations with my mouth. For I will declare faithful love is built up forever. You establish your faithfulness in the heavens. The Lord said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn an oath to David, my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build up your throne for all generations. Lord, today may we live into and share the hope of the eternal love that God offers to all people. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, our good shepherd. Amen.